The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Father, I think of David's prayer. He said, don't let me fall into the hands of men. Let me fall into the hands of God because his mercy is great. Thank you for your mercy. your invitation and the way you welcome us, your joy over us. Thank you for your permanent forgiveness when we confess to you that you completely cleanse our sin. Completely. I pray there will be just incredible relief in the souls of those who have come and confessed knowing that you our God who forgives, we thank you, we praise you. God, give us ears to hear now your word as it's preached. Help us hear the words of Jesus to comprehend them, understand them, to own them, and to follow Jesus. We praise in his name, amen. Steve, as you were sharing, I thought, man, I wish I went to your Bible school if you came away with all the answers, because... <laughs> I went to seminary, and I think I left with more questions, but um, <laughs> uh, someone asked me this last week, I actually uh, was interviewed by uh, the seminary I went to, and they were trying to figure out their, their, uh, how to kind of shape their curriculum for the future, that was what they were saying, so they were doing some interviews of past alumni, and and they said, well, what's, what do you think is the most important thing a pastor can, can know? And I was like, well, I think, it's like, this sounds really simple, but I think the most important thing a pastor can possibly know is Jesus and, like, really love Jesus. Like, really love Jesus. And they were like, okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so... Um, I don't know if I was very helpful, but um, <laughs> we are in our sermon series, Talking to God, and uh, 14 weeks in, uh, looking through kind of the history of prayer, starting all the way back in Genesis, where the first time it kind of mentions crying out to God, and it's, it's after, after Eden, and they talked to God in Eden, but there wasn't the need for the prayerful communication we have now and, and what we perceive as, as this, uh, as Steve mentioned, this, this barrier or break between us and God. And, and Eden, they were just walking with him. So they walked with him in the cool of the day. And, and you see after the fall, um, it says that they cried out to God. And, and from then on, we've, we've been learning and relearning how to cry out to God. And this was the request of the disciples when they watched the life of Jesus and they saw that Jesus, being in very nature God, but also being in very nature man, cried out to God. Uh, and this is what they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is our intro. That this request from Jesus' disciples not only expressed their personal desire, but offers their impressions of Jesus' entire life. Jesus' life was a praying life. The intimacy and understanding between Jesus and the Father 
is available to every person who desires to know God. Lord, teach us to pray. I <clears throat> admit that I don't know if I've, I've become better at praying in the last 14 weeks. As we, and maybe that's because I missed a couple Sundays. Um, but just because you hear about it doesn't mean that you will do it more. Praying has a way not only of leading our hearts, but it really has a significant way of revealing what's in our hearts. As I thought about this, I thought of um, this, there's a story by the author and artist Oscar Wilde. It's called The Picture of Dorian Gray. And if you're not familiar with this this book, uh, the story is fairly simple. It's a short book, and it's about a, a young man who, a handsome young man, man of the world, as we would say, who um, has a picture painted of himself. And the picture is vivid and beautiful, and it captures really his essence. And, uh, and so as he's looking at the picture, he wishes that he would remain looking as perfect and beautiful as he is in the picture and his wishes fulfilled. And he leads this life of sensuality and debauchery and even murder. He just really lets go. But he remains looking like he does in that picture and the picture becomes more and more grotesque. Eventually unrecognizable. And, and after he leads this life of debauchery, he, and, and he, he has this picture in, hidden away as this sh- hidden shame. And so finally he just, he wants to completely wipe away the reality of himself. And so he takes a knife, spoiler, and he stabs the picture and then it pans out to someone who's in the house and hears a cry and goes up and sees an unrecognizable man with a knife in his heart. Kind of a thriller. But this is what prayer can be like in the life of a Christian. We can have, we can look amazing. You'll see the time. We can look, we can look incredible. Um, and this oftentimes happens in the church. Man, that person's so humble. What does their prayer life look like? Man, that person just, they're so selfless. They're always so kind. That person just must be perfect. And yet, on the inside, our spiritual life can, if not tended to by the truth and by prayer, by connecting with God through his word and following his way in obedience, we can become more and more spiritually grotesque. Don't be deceived by appearances, right? We're, We're alarmed all the time. That person just seemed like they had it all together. And yet their spiritual life, their prayer life, was in shambles. Prayer has a way of revealing ourselves. Even so, that if, if we look at our lives and we realize we are not praying, that reveals something about us. That really believes we don't trust God. In a lot of ways, we might be living absolutely godless lives, even if we've convinced ourselves there were godly people because we actually don't ever communicate with him. That's what it means if we don't pray. You cannot say, I trust you, God, I love you, God, and then your whole life you just don't ever talk to him. Imagine any relationship 
where that would work. <laughs> like, oh yeah, we're doing great. No, you're not. You're not doing great at all. You're deceiving yourself. And so in the prayer we're going to look at, which is uh, what we know of often as the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, we really see Jesus revealed. We see his glory, his desire, his heart revealed. So I think in this single prayer, we see the heart of God in rare form as we get a whole chapter devoted to a prayer of Jesus. So, Follow me into John 17, if you will. Um, And as you open your Bibles, you look at the screen, I'll give you a little context for for where we're at. Jesus has just given one of the longest series of of, uh, uh, monologues in in his ministry. We get, uh, starting really at John 13, where you have uh, Jesus showing the full extent of his love and, and washing the disciples' feet. And you go into John 14, where he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? And he goes, I, you know, well, I, I wouldn't have told you if, if it wasn't true. And they just, well, you don't know the way. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And it just goes on. And Jesus is planting these seeds, these amazing seeds of truth in their life that will, will soon grow into faith that you see in the book of Acts. And what he's telling them is, I'm going to send the Spirit. It's actually going to be way better than me staying here with you. The Spirit's going to give you power and lead your ministry. You're not going to know what to say, but the Spirit's going to give you words to say. You're not going to know what's in your heart, and the Spirit's going to reveal that, and you're going to repent that, and you're going to keep following me. He's just building out what their ministry will look like. He says, it's like I am a vine and you are the branches. And, and he goes, you know what? If you aren't connected to me, if you don't remain connected to me, you're going to do nothing. <laughs> no matter what you say, if you're not connected to me, nothing will happen in your life. So he's saying these truths, and then he kind of leading into John 17, he leads to kind of a, a grim outlook. The world is not going to like you. And this is what he says right before he prays. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And he turns around and he starts praying. Take heart, I have overcome the world. So the prayer itself is, uh, if, if you were to kind of break it down, has... Um, three parts, and it's, it's beautiful because the first one, I'll just walk you through it and then, and then we'll talk about it. The first is just Jesus' one objective. That's the first, verses 1 through 5. And then you go into 6 through 19, and it's two relationships. Our relationship with God and our relationship with the world. And then three prayers Jesus has for believers, a prayer for Unity, prayer for glory, and a prayer for knowing. So it's really a simple breakdown. One, two, three. One objective of Jesus' life, one goal of Jesus' life, two relationships we have, and then three prayers he has for people who believe in him. So read with me just the first five verses. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ 
whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. There's one objective to Jesus' entire life. And that is to glorify the Father. I think the way, the, a beautiful way to think through this is, that, have you ever watched a movie? It happens in musicals, but it happens in, in ordinary movies that have beautiful soundtracks. And typically there is a refrain that at, at certain moments, powerful moments, it will play it again. Anne of Green Gables, right? Right? And when you hear that, you're like, oh my gosh! Stop! And you just start crying, you know? Because it does it to you every time. You know what I'm talking about? Les Mis. Of course. Right? The, the, the refrain in I Dreamed a Dream, it's just in these moments, all of a sudden, it starts playing again. And you realize this is an important moment. This is part of the weave, right? That, that highlights the picture as a whole. And that's what's happening here. When Jesus is like, God, you have given me glory and all that glory I just want to give back to you. I want to just give you glory. God, that's the whole theme of Jesus's life is simply that, that he would glorify God. And the way this looks like in Jesus's life is this, that he has been given all authority. That's what he says. All authority is mine. And I've used all that authority to do what the Father's asked me to do. So it's that simple. What does it take to glorify God? Do what God asks you to do. <laughs> it's like if, if a child were to say to a parent, I'm glorifying my parent, I'm honoring my parent. How do you do that? Just do what your parents asked you to do. It's that simple. And so if we read the Bible and we see this is what God's heart is, to glorify God simply means, man, I'm just going to, I'm going to wrap my heart around that too. And that's what Jesus did with all the power that was given to him, all the authority, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And what he did with that is he glorified the Father. That was the one objective of his life. And that is his prayer that they would be able to, to do that too. I think instead of doing this though, it's interesting, we we sort of piecemeal our lives, right? It's like, well, I'm going to give 10% to God or I'm going to, you know, I have this time, this time's going to go to God, this time's going to go to me. And it's this like, we try to figure it out. We try to game the system. And you know what suffers? Your soul suffers. Your soul is what is left behind. You might become successful. You might be looked at by other people as, man, that person sacrifices a lot. But if you try breaking down your life between what's God's and what's yours, what's ultimately getting left out is your soul and God. And what remains is going to be something that you, you end up with and you're going, what is this? What is my life? What am I about? Unless your one objective is this. It's all God's. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. And we point our lives in that direction. And the cool thing about this is it is not a, I lose myself and I gain God. It is what Jesus describes here is an incredible participation. He says this. He says, And now, Father, glorify me, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus is like, I cannot wait. I want this so much because it is the best. 
I love this participation when, Father, you get glory and wrapped up in that glory. He's like, this is what's happening before the world began, before the fall happened, and before all this stuff got screwed up, and now I'm here and I'm going to die. And You know, I just <laughs> like that glory that we share, the perfect glory. You don't get a sense of sacrifice for Jesus. In this, you get this sense of anticipation and reward and wonderfulness. Before the world began, we had this, and I cannot wait to just share that perfectly with you. That was just, his, his desire was a participation. It wasn't, it wasn't begrudging it. It wasn't this hard thing he had to do. He was anticipating it. Because nothing was better for him than, than sharing, participating in the Father's glory. That was the one objective of his life. There was nothing new to it. Who gets the glory in your life? What is the one objective of your life? Jesus goes on and he prays about two relationships. I'll read it for you and then we'll, we'll talk through it. Starting in verse 6, he says this, I have revealed you to those you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them, and I kept them safe. By the name you gave me, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. And then he looks here at this second relationship where I just notice as we read every time it says the world. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent them into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. There's two relationships that he said he talks about here. And the first is the relationship between his disciples and the Father, between his disciples and God. And the way he describes it are... It's incredible, and we don't hear it described this way often, but the first way he describes it is is a given people, that they are people that were gave, or given. I gave them. Father gave them to me. I'm giving them. And I think this is a really unique, (laughs) often underappreciated thing, that we are a gift, It isn't something that we just took. He does say they accepted it. So the acceptance of it is so important. But what precedes the acceptance is the givenness of our faith. That you had to be a gift presented to Jesus. (laughs) You you couldn't take Jesus for yourself. You're not that smart, okay? Okay. 
Um, I'm not that smart. I don't have that good idea in my head, right? I would still just try to shape my own life. But, but the Father in his mercy grabbed you, gave you to Jesus. <laughs> That's what he's saying here. Notice all the times in this he says, gave, give, gave, give, gave. You were gifted to Jesus. That is our identity. Your salvation is a gift. God pulled you and presented you to his son. And again, I, I don't at all discredit acceptance in that because he said they accepted that gift, accepted the givenness of it, but the givenness precedes the acceptance. We can, go, we can go a long time into that. I just want you to look back at your faith. I don't think there's any testimony of faith that doesn't start with, God totally surprised me, yeah. Right? It never starts with like, man, I, I just was presented all the facts and I decided to completely submit my life to a sovereign God who tells me that I'm screwed up. No, there's a conviction of sin. Where's that conviction of sin that the Holy Spirit's grabbing you and giving you? That's what's happening, right? And by the mercy of God, we're accepting. We're learning to submit our lives who God is. What does that relationship look like? Let it blow your mind. The second thing we're described as is out of this world people. It's kind of a cool way to think about it. I grab them out of this world. We are out of this world people. And the way we're described throughout the scripture uses words like alien, exile, stranger. Now I, I, I can comprehend this in a unique way uh, because I was homeschooled and uh, if you weren't homeschooled you just might not get it honestly so I come on I know there's some other homeschooled people here that just can yeah 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 we get it right so at some point you had to leave your house right you can just be at home forever so <laughs> don't you love it when you're homeschooled people are like wow but you're really like socially normal I think you meant that as a compliment, so thank you. Um, so I, I was homeschooled until ninth grade, and then I went to public school and actually didn't like it, and so I went back and homeschooled. Um, uh, but when you go to public school, all everyone else has this shared history for the most part, right? They're like, man, when I was in second grade, and you're like, I don't even, I don't, like, how old were you? Like, I remember ages, I just don't remember grades. Um, because they were like, yeah, in, sub, in, in like sixth grade, I had this teacher. And you're like, well, that was my mom. Uh, and that was also the same in fifth, fourth, third, second, and first grade. Um, but, you know, you have <laughs> you come in and you are an alien and a stranger, right, in, into the, the school setting. Um, and then you are trained, and you kind of inherently feel that to be outside or to be different is bad. It's this strong pressure to feel that way, right? And we feel the same way when we are an out-of-this-world people, and maybe you go to work or wherever you go, and, and you like are wanting to be slow to speak and quick to listen. You want to be slow to anger. You want to represent Jesus. Like You might not agree with somebody, but you want to respond to them in love, like... Like you, you like are somebody says something that's completely inappropriate, and and you know your heart's in turmoil because you want to go like, man, I don't, 
Like, I'm at least trying not to think that way. You know, like, I'm, I'm trying to do life different. <laughs> and, and you just really feel outside. You feel like you are an alien. And that is what you are. And Jesus is praying for you. This out of this world, grabbed out people. And Jesus prays for them. His prayer is protect them. I've protected them while I have been with them. But now, Father, you, you protect them. Help them resist the urge to be like everybody else. Because he already said earlier, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So the protection doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble. The protection is, God, will you, Father, will you just give them, will you fortify their faith, strengthen their faith, so when they are in that trouble, they will be faithful people. That is the protection of God. Not that you won't have trouble, but in this life that you have trouble, you'll be an overcomer with Jesus. I have overcome the world, right? That's what Jesus said. So now I'm going to pray that my people will overcome the world also. That they will rise above. That they won't, they won't have to be petty. They won't have to be lustful. They won't have to be people that just give in to all the things that are happening. They don't have to give in to these momentary pleasures, right? But they will feast on what is actually satisfying. And what Jesus is pointing to is before the foundation of the world, there's been good stuff going on way longer before you were born. Tap into that, right? That is what Jesus is offering. That's what he's wanting to present to you. He's like, he's like, man, there was a hiccup, the fall. He's like, and we're just trying to reroute so you can participate in what's been going on before the world was ever created. You're going to feel like an alien and a stranger. You're going to feel out of this world. You're going to feel before this world. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's praying for his people. Protect them. So the second relationship is our relationship with the world. What is the world? And I've written down what I think defines the world, and I'll just offer it to you. The world isn't just what we're traipsing around on, right? Like, He's not asking you to go up to a beautiful waterfall and be like, you deceiver. Um, the world that he's referring to here is an unholy kingdom. He talks about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of the world. The unholy kingdom of the world that he's talking about is the culture that dishonors God through neglect or direct animosity. Through neglect, so it could just be, I don't care about God through neglect or direct animosity, that we are actually setting ourselves against him intentionally. The world does everything it can to diminish the goodness and authority of God because it does not want to have a sovereign ruler. The world pretends that it can make its own rules and rule itself. The world is the dominion of Satan who is a rebel at heart and willfully practices deception to discredit God. Anytime. There's something discrediting God in his truth. That is the world, right? It is a principality and it is a power that sets itself against God. And I, and I think it's important, this idea of neglect or direct animosity, because it can just be through neglect. It's just, and that sounds like, well, it just doesn't matter. Like, hey, you do what you do, I do what I do. Like, and it's just this like, sort of blasé, whatever, um, that sort of neglect is also the world because it matters. It matters. You were designed with desires. 
but higher desires. You were meant to desire God and his goodness. You were meant to see the world, but see past it, right? See the earth, but see past it to the one who made it, right? To enjoy it for all it's worth because you are in tune with the one who created it. Not just, to, not just to grab the dirt and make something out of it, but to play in the dirt with God, right? Like that, that's what we were designed for. We were designed for something eternal, something more. Now this is eternal life that they may know you. All of this was made to be relationally, right? Not just a relationship here, but a whole relationship, fully orbed. That's the relationship we were intended to have. And so the request is sanctify them. What is, what is that? Sanctification just means that there are people being set apart, right? It's this kind of pulling back on that idea of being out of this world. The saint is someone who has changed citizenships from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of heaven. And, and it's probably easy to think about as this journey. They're journeying towards heaven. They're citizens of their, they're not quite there yet in their actions, their habits, their character yet. But the sanctification process is your journey towards full participation in the kingdom of heaven. That's what sanctification is. You are belong there but you do, are not practicing that fully yet, right? Amen? There are times where you're like, I belong there, but I feel like I, I just, I don't sometimes because the way I'm still acting and God's like, no, keep coming. Keep coming. What sanctifies you is what you are holding in your hands, the truth, the word of God, the truth of God is what sanctifies you. You're holding that as your map. You're walking towards the kingdom of heaven. You're reading what it says and you are going for it. That is what he prays for us. And so he prays then, wrapping it up with three simple prayers. The prayer for unity. The prayer for glory and the prayer for knowing. I'm just going to touch on these briefly. We don't have enough time. I was preaching a whole chapter today. It's very hard. Um, but the first prayer for unity is magnificent. May they be one as we are one. Now, I think we could preach on this verse till kingdom come. This is kingdom come. May they be one as we are one. You are not given a second-class citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. You're given full participation. You are a co-heir with Christ. Jesus wants everything he has to be yours. Let me say that again. Jesus wants everything he has to be yours. And that includes sharing the relationship with the Father. Complete triune intimacy. That is what he desires for his people. And that is evidence to the world of who you are. If people are like, how do I know you're a Christian? You're like, man, because I enjoy God. <laughs> it's like, you know, they're like, how do I know? You're like, man, I just really, I, I enjoy my time with God. That's how I know, right? And when I'm not enjoying it, I'm longing for it. I want I feel out. And I just want, oh, man, I want to appreciate that. Again, that is the unity he's speaking to. And then the glory he points to is this, that we would be people who see his glory. People who see his glory. May they be people who see my glory. That is Jesus' prayer. What does that mean? That, that means when we admire the goodness that, that is still present in the world, we're seeing the handiwork of Jesus. May they see my glory. He goes, may they be amazed at sunsets, but see Jesus' glory in it. May they be eager for the fellowship of the saints and see Jesus in that. May they see my glory. 
And the last thing is knowing. I absolutely love this. I just want to, I want to read to you what I wrote because it really is meaningful to me. There is a precious knowledge that is otherworldly. This knowledge is not a data point or a theological mystery. The knowledge Jesus speaks of is enjoying the love relationship with the Father and the Son. When Jesus is praying that we would know him, that we would know the Father, that we would know them intimately, it is something that cannot be put under a microscope. It is knowledge of the most intimate kind. Do you personally know God's love? That's what he's praying for. May they know you. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. They know that you sent me. I have made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. May they know you, and may they love you. So, I just want to ask you a simple question to consider. If someone were listening to you pray, and they attempted to capture your heart in a painting, what would it look like? What would your Dorian Gray sketch look like? You know your heart. I I don't. Would it reflect a heart vital, full of love for God, enjoying triunity, Father, Son, and Spirit? Would it be an out-of-this-world heart, a heart that's been plucked from the world, gifted to Jesus, citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Is that what your painting would look like? What does your praying look like? That is, the, that is the question. As we look at Jesus and his model for praying, this model that is, man, my one objective is that everything I do would give glory to God. That's why uh, I was so um, blown away when, uh, after my dad got diagnosed with cancer, the Kitsap son did this, this uh, front page article on him, um, and they interviewed him, and when it came out, it was a Sunday paper, and uh, had a big picture of him right there, front page, and then it had had the, this text on the picture that says, "We do it for the glory of God." And I'm I'm really good friends with Dave Nelson, who is the editor. Uh, he runs the Kitsap Sun, and I, so we run a couple times a week. And I, and I was running. I was like, "That was amazing that you put that on there." And he goes, "Honestly, I had no idea it was going to be on the." it was going to be the text on the picture. He goes, and a lot of times there's not even a text on the picture. He goes, the person, whoever does it in my office, they read the article and that's what stuck out to them. Isn't that crazy? We do it for the glory of God. That was the, he read a whole bio sketch of my dad and that, that is what stuck out to him. We do it for the glory of God. That was the painting. That was the artwork. What does your painting look like? What does the text, the bold text on your life look like? What do you do it for? And that comes out in your praying or your lack of praying. And now my challenge is this. If you don't like what your painting looks like, Jesus is praying for you. So don't go back and slink into shame and think, I'm never going to measure up. No, Jesus is praying for you. Protect them. Like Point them to... Our heavenly citizenship. Jesus is praying for you that your heart would be protected and you get strong in faith. 
Because my dad's whole life at parts, if you isolated, it didn't look like that. But he was heading towards the heavenly kingdom. And we can too, right? We can too. Where are you headed? Jesus is your advocate. The Holy Spirit is compelling your heart. What does your painting look like? I really, really challenge you this week. Take time to ask, what does the painting of my heart look like? Because by the grace of God, we have time for that painting to grow in beauty. (laughs) Amen? Amen. As we take communion together, I want you to remember that it is both for remembering Jesus, but confessing to him. And so as you capture in your mind's eye what your life looks like, uh, I want you to, as you take communion, to remember that your life is hidden in Christ, one with him. Enjoy that communion as an act of actual community with the Father, Son, and Spirit. So let me pray for us, then we'll take communion together. Father, Teach us to pray. Real, gutsy, (laughs) turn our hearts inside out. See me for all I am. Help me know you for all you are prayers. Help us wade past the shallows of truth and dive in to all that you're speaking, all that you're offering us enjoy you too for our souls to play with you dance with you live alongside you weep with you share all of life find ourselves completely hidden in christ this is the desire of our hearts and so we pray for it in the name of jesus amen